I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Say, I received a, uh, a, 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 a email from a, a person who has a very interesting question that I want to share with you. Now, it does have to do with New Jersey's uh, approach and New Jersey's law, but what's interesting, even if you're not in New Jersey, is to see how this uh, applies, how Jersey views this question, and uh, changes that are coming. And remember, when it comes to the absolute idiotic approach that New Jersey takes to firearms, weapons, and self-defense, you want to be aware of it so you can not let it happen in whatever jurisdiction you're in. So here is uh, the letter. It's from Bob. And Bob says, uh, my friends and I have followed you for a long time. I recently purchased the Burna weapon, B-R-Y-N-A. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm sure you're familiar with it, and I am. Do you have any guidance on where and how we can carry or transport it legally in New Jersey? I'm getting confusing information. Not surprising. It, uh, it is complicated out there. It's not a gun, as you know. It shoots pellets or tear gas and pepper spray mix with an air cartridge that looks like a gun. It came with a holster and a bag to transport it so we can keep it. So can, so can we keep it in the car when we're in it? or in my wife's pocketbook or holster, stuff like that. No rush. Let me know. And I appreciate the question very much. The, uh, the, the Berna weapon is a, <clears throat> is, a, is a, it looks like a handgun size uh, firearm, but it's not a firearm. It uses <clears throat> CO2, and it is similar in function to a paintball marker. It uses 68 caliber balls that look similar to paintballs, which are also majority 68 caliber paintball. But these particular balls are filled with, or can be filled with, depending which version you purchase from the Berna company there, uh, pepper spray or combination of OC and CS or whatever, and they have different uh, ammunition, if you will, including some solids and some low-cost stuff that will fire out of this and give you some decent range with it, and essentially it operates like a paintball marker would. So the question that first arises is, well, is it or isn't it a firearm in New Jersey? And to that, if we look to case law in Jersey on firearms and such, there is actually a case law that has discussed uh, paintball markers in New Jersey. And many of you play paintball in New Jersey and are probably aware that paintballs have markers and I specifically call them paintball markers, not guns, because they are paintball markers. So you want to be careful in your language. And that paintball markers uh, have not been viewed as firearms. Now, the court, in a case, one of the more recent ones, at least relatively speaking, is called uh, State of New Jersey in the Interest of GC. And it was from 2003. And what the court was dealing with was with a juvenile 
who shot a paintball, and the court calls it a gun, but paintball marker, at a car and pled guilty and then challenged on appeal whether that is, in fact, a firearm. And the court did hold that a paintball gun does not satisfy the statutory definition of a, quote, firearm. But in the same case, the court did hold that a paintball gun is a weapon, meaning under the statutory definition, and there has to be, uh, in this case, there was not a sufficient support to show there was a threat to harm others to support the conviction. But the bottom line here is New Jersey, via the court's views, paintball markers, not as firearms. But in fact, it can be weapons, and what determines a weapon is essentially how you're going to be using it. So, you know, a kitchen knife or even the back of your shoe can be a weapon if you're using it in that manner, right? And so the question here in Jersey it comes down to is that Berna something that you can carry, can you possess, etc. And the fact is that since it's not arguably a firearm, and primarily one of the definitions in firearm has to do with size of the projectile, and it is a 68 caliber and such. And it is uh, designed, of course, to be less than lethal, and just like paintball markers, if any of you played paintball, you know that they sting and they can leave a welt, but it's still not considered um, a firearm from that. But again, it can be viewed as a weapon. And so possession of one of these in your home would come under the exemption under 39.5, which exempts for your possession of firearms, as well as under subsection D of 39.5, possession of a weapon. But here's where it gets very interesting in New Jersey, and that's because uh, in New Jersey, can an individual carry a weapon outside the home for self-defense? That becomes the legal question. And this also brings in, in similar nature, stun guns and tasers. Can a stun gun or a taser be carried outside the home for self-defense? As a matter of fact, what if any weapons can be carried outside the home for self-defense in New Jersey? And see, this is the problem that occurred with the taser stun gun challenge that was brought in New Jersey by a uh, pro-Second Amendment group and they entered into a consent order challenging stun guns and tasers in response to the uh, Supreme Court case on the Massachusetts challenge where they found that these uh, less than lethal weapons are protected under the Second Amendment. And when the consent order was done, there was a memorandum regarding the consent, and it said that the ban under 39.3, NJS 2C 39.3, where it specifically named stun guns and banned them, was invalid and no longer enforceable. So that's a good thing. We were all happy to see that stun guns themselves are no longer per se 
prohibited. However, the same memorandum stated that NJS-2C395D, quote, remains in force, full force in effect, and shall continue to be enforced. So the 395D prohibition stayed. And 395D in New Jersey is the other weapons prohibition. And under the other weapons prohibition, that's kind of like the garbage can clause for anything else that's a weapon that Jersey wants to ban. And in it is it is worded uh, in such a way that it becomes uh, uh, very broad as to what it covers. So let me read you 39.5D, uh, other weapons. And what it says is any person who knowingly has in his possession any other weapon, meaning non-firearms, anything else, knives, you name it, under circumstances not manifestly appropriate, for such lawful uses as it may have, is guilty of a crime of the fourth degree. Now that subsection D, other weapons, there is an exemption to even have other weapons in your home. So we're not talking about in your home because you can have weapons in your home. We're talking about outside the home. And if you're outside the home, the question is, if you have an other weapon, is it legal? Now, rationally and logically, an individual who doesn't know New Jersey's case law, the law decided by the courts on this, might say, well, look, the law just prohibits possession of any other weapon under circumstances not manifestly appropriate for such lawful uses as it may have. And you would say, hey, my lawful use is self-defense, baby. I mean, I want to have this for self-defense, and it's legal you know, self-defense is legal in Jersey, and that's my lawful purpose. That's my lawful use, so I should be good, right? Wrong. Wrong. You see, that's where the wrong comes in, and that's where people go, what do you mean? And this shows you the incredible bias, the incredible state of affairs in New Jersey, because there's a case, and it's State v. Metalvo, and in the Metalvo case, uh, police came to the... Talbo's door, and he came to the door, and he had a machete in his hand. Now, he didn't know who was at the door, and when the police saw him come to the door with a machete, they charged him with unlawful possession of a weapon. Now, under prior case law, you couldn't preemptively arm yourself with any weapon for self-defense, even in your home, and this is how they tried to proceed. But the court in Metalvo distinguished and said, no, now with uh, Heller and Second Amendment, and this is the importance, really, of Heller, the ability to have a, f a, a weapon in your home for self-defense is, is constitutionally protected, but not outside your home. So under Metalvo, the individual there was legal to come to the threshold of his door with a machete. He was legal to preemptively arm himself for self-defense. But you cannot preemptively arm yourself for self-defense outside the home because that, according to our court, is not a manifestly appropriate for such lawful uses as it may have. 
And that's a rub. That's a problem. Because if you carry a taser or you carry a stun gun outside your home for self-defense, you're in violation of 39.5D, which is a crime of the fourth degree, and you're looking at up to 18 months in state's prison, and it carries over that year in jail, so it makes you a felon. And if you become a felon, you lose all your Second Amendment rights because now you're a convicted felon. And so you can't do it legally. Now, what about a pocket knife? Well, I'll tell you this. If you have a pocket knife outside your home and you're carrying it because you open boxes with it, because you cut rope and string with it, because you use it to you know, cut the ends of your cigar off or whatever, if you have a lawful purpose for that that's utilitarian and not self-defense, then you're okay. So, of course, any pocket knife that I or others might be carrying, of course we have it for utilitarian reasons, for opening boxes and letters and such, and I, in fact, do use it for that. But I would never carry such a thing for self-defense in New Jersey because you wouldn't be allowed to do that. You wouldn't be allowed to preemptively arm yourself, even with a knife, a pocket knife, for self-defense. So back to the stun gun or taser question. Why are you carrying that outside your home? What, are you herding cattle today? I don't think so. I mean, there's basically one purpose and one use for a taser and or a stun gun, and that's why you can't carry it outside the home, even though they're legal to possess, legal to purchase, and legal to have in your home. Well, unfortunately, this burner less than lethal weapon, which is pretty cool, and I get where they're going with it, does not give New Jerseyans the ability uh, to get around this and carry outside the home. I mean, what is your reason to have a essentially a scaled-down, handy-dandy paintball marker that fires pepper balls, if not for self-defense? And that's your reason, and therefore it isn't going to fly. And so that's the problem. It also applies, by the way, to pepper spray. You cannot carry pepper spray with one exception. And there is an exception under New Jersey law, under NJS 2C39-6, there's an exemption specifically for pepper spray. As long as pepper spray has less than three quarters of an ounce in the container. So, if you have a handheld pepper spray canister or other device and it's under three quarters of an ounce, there's even a great product out there called Lipstick Bodyguard. It's really cool. It looks like a lipstick, but it actually is a pepper spray canister uh, and it holds under three quarters of an ounce. Then you're legal in Jersey to carry it. That is the only Weapon for self-defense, Jerseyans are allowed to carry. Other than that, New Jersey has decided that when you leave your home, you're to be a victim, not a defender, but a victim of crime and not allowed to defend yourself unless three-quarters of an ounce of pepper spray will do the trick. So this is the current state of affairs. But I say current 
because as you know and should be aware, there's a case pending right now before the United States Supreme Court of the New York State Rifle and Pistol case versus Bruin, where they're looking at this very issue, even though it applies to carry licenses and the granting of permits to carry handguns and looking at the requirements and the law surrounding that, one of the questions that we're hopeful the court is going to finally address is does the Second Amendment apply outside the home? And if the court says that it does, then that can be a game changer for all kinds of things, not just guns, but tasers and stun guns and burner weapons and all of that. So you see, it can have a very important impact depending on what the court decides. And if you really think about this question, the question of whether Second Amendment out, applies outside the home, you really get this phony, contrived distinction that the antis are clinging to in trying to somehow stop Heller from having its broader application. That somehow the Second Amendment only applies to inside your home. Like the Patriots, you know, at the shot heard around the world at Lexington and Concord, like that was, you know, fired from a Patriots bedroom or something. No. How do you think they got it? They got it by going to the place, doing what? Oh, carrying it outside the home, you know, like that. Yeah, that's what our founding fathers knew and believed in. And hopefully the court will set this straight because then it'll have great impact and we'll be able to analyze its impact once that decision comes out. Hey, when we get back from the break, I'm going to tell you about the BITS myth. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Well, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I really appreciate that you listen and particularly subscribe to this podcast. It's really our voice. It's a way to beat all the algorithms and shadow bands and get the word out about our rights and helping to protect you and helping you to protect yourself. So 
tell your friends and keep on listening. I appreciate it. Let me uh, let me tell you about bits. Bits is an, an acronym for blood in the streets. It's the blood in the streets myth, man. You know, I am so sick of hearing that. Every time, you know, like right now they're fighting and they just passed through Pennsylvania, through both houses, constitutional carry in Pennsylvania. Now it seems likely that their anti-governor you know, uh, will uh, veto it, unfortunately. But it's still great that it passed both houses. But what do you hear every time? Oh, if you pass this, there'll be blood in the streets, blood in the streets, the Wild West, blah, blah, blah. Every time, from the from the first shall-issue-carry license, you know, modern time back in Florida, to every battle for carry to constitute, they're always the other side shouting, blood in the streets from this, blood in the street. You know, they've said it so much, we should, like, need canoes to be getting around in the streets with so much freaking blood out there from all their yapping about it. And what do we really have? What we really have is no blood. It's not blood in the streets. It isn't the Wild West, which, of course, itself is all blown out of proportion because the West wasn't as wild as, you know, the 50s Westerns and our mythology presents it. But the fact is, none of that comes true. It's always shown to be false. Look at the constitutional carry states. We don't have that happening. No, what you have is citizens being safer. You have crime going down. You have people no longer being victims, but defenders. And that's the truth. And the bits myth just needs to go. And every time you hear someone say that, just tell them, ah, uh, the bits myth, please, it's thoroughly discredited. Don't go there. Once you can nail somebody with the label of what they're claiming as being false, you cut them off at the knees on their argument. So remember that about bits, and it's just, I just get sick of hearing, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, and it's nonsense. I, as a matter of fact, I once had a case where my client had been charged with possession of an assault firearm, and I didn't represent him at the time. He was convicted. He'd even done him some time on it. It was crazy. And he came, and he's... A, you know, now convicted felon over this, and he's, uh, Evan, is there anything we can do here? And I look at this, and I said, wait a minute. The gun that you were, wasn't even an assault firearm. It didn't meet the definition. It was actually an Olympic arms and such. And I said, it isn't the case. And we brought a post-conviction relief motion. And in so doing, the records, the gun was long gone. They don't have it in evidence anymore. And the Olympic arms there had had a fire there were no records of this it couldn't even so the state didn't even have it anymore to even point to and what they did have on record and it was remaining was clearly a demonstration that it did not meet definition of assault fire but what i always remember too is the judge this judge out of uh, jersey city oh my god what a just a total anti-gun ignorant on guns nothing you know, incensing this poor guy who said, and you had assault firemen, um, and there's blood in the streets, and I'm literally walking over bodies in the street. Oh, literally walking over bodies in the street with blood in the streets, huh? From the semi-auto, give me a break. So I was able to actually 
reverse his conviction. And they tried, you know, they still challenged. No, we, we won, won it on, uh, even when they brought it up on the PCR after we set it aside, and then they tried to appeal even the reversal, and appellate court said no, and we saved this guy and reversed it. And, you know, I was always so happy for him. And, and the thing is, and here's the real interesting, he later became a law enforcement officer serving his community and was always incredibly thankful and sent me, uh, you know, still Christmas cards and such for giving him his life back and letting him pursue what his love was and what he wanted to pursue. And so that was always a good thing. But I never forget that judge just railing with this absolute bitsmith, this absolute garbage and putting it into his sentencing, just out, outrageous. And I'll tell you, lately, I've seen some other interesting things. I had uh, encountered a case where it's really pointed out something very interesting about the domestic violence restraining order laws, and it brings up this disarmament without due process issue. And we're seeing that pushed, you know, from ERPOs, you know, extreme risk protection orders, right, where there's no due process. And just based on one person's say, they, they immediately seize your guns and, and, and forfeit and they, they, they revoke your license. And, and, and this is before you even had one second to even talk to the court about it or have any say. And then Later, you get your due process later, which, of course, isn't due process at all. It's just outrageous. And we see this going on. And, you know, throughout the domestic violence where if a temporary restraining order is filed, that temporary restraining order is also done ex parte and built into every one of them in New Jersey and uh, many other states as well is the order to seize firearms. So immediately, even, even when it has nothing to do with guns, Nothing whatsoever to do with guns in Jersey. It can simply be something as minor as a claim of harassment, a petty disorderly person's offense, one of the lowest level of offenses. And if that restraining order TRO issued on a claim of just harassment, doesn't matter, guns get seized. And this is how the law is set up, of course, to protect victims of domestic violence. Well, look, domestic violence is a serious thing, and I get it. And no one should be abused by anybody. And I'm not pro-domestic violence. I oppose domestic violence. But I'm also pro-rights, and I, I think due process is important. But here's something that recently occurred that really hammered home something interesting. And that is how the domestic violence laws themselves that remove due process before disarming somebody can be played against the victim. Because in this case, the victim who filed a, let's say, legitimate, 100% legitimate restraining order against this defendant, and this defendant had a number of times violated this restraining order and is even being criminally, criminally prosecuted for contempt of the restraining order, this person went and f after this happening to them and after the contempts and after being hit with a final restraining order because the TRO was found valid and the final issued, brings a 
restraining order, temporary restraining order against the plaintiff on the original restraining order. And here, the plaintiff is a victim of the person who has violated the previous restraining order, has a final restraining order against them, and was getting out of jail, just got out of jail, and then files the TRO against the plaintiff. And guess what? The TRO, ex parte, issues by the judge on whatever claim this person's making up, you know, doesn't matter. And now the victim, the one who was threatened, the one who has a final restraining order, gets her gun seized. Her protection that she's relying upon against the person that she had a restraining order. And that person is able to use the laws to disarm the victim. And now the TRO, which has to have a hearing, is out a couple of months before that victim will have the day in court, will finally have the due process to get the restraining order that's essentially false, dismissed, and then fight to get her guns back. And all during this time, that victim is vulnerable to the original defendant that she was successful in getting a restraining order against and even having this person go to jail on multiple violations. Imagine this, folks. This shows you the flaw, and it shows you how disarmament without due process is a danger to the public and the ability for even domestic violence victims to be able to maintain their ability to defend themselves. Because as you know, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. And the police try, and they're dedicated, and they want to do what's right to help and protect us, but they can't always be there, and they always can't be there when seconds count. And whose responsibility is to protect yourself? Your own. And here that gets denied. I tell you, you know, you want to put a domestic violence law in place the way they constantly want to enhance domestic violence? I would seriously suggest putting in a domestic violence law that says someone who already is a domestic violence victim and plaintiff and has a restraining order on that other party, that that other party cannot get the gun seized of that pre-existing victim and plaintiff until after due process, until after there's a hearing and the restraining order goes to a final and that victim and plaintiff are somehow shown to actually be guilty of domestic violence because it's outrageous. It's a technique and a tactic that can turn the tables and make a domestic violence victim vulnerable and disarmed. And do you think that that person who uh, 
does that, is going to care about the restraining order on them? No. Who's going to be the one that's going to follow the law? You know who. The original victim. That's who. And that's who these ridiculous laws that deny due process put at risk. So think about that, folks. It's a real deal, and it's really happening. Hey, until next time, remember that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.